0: As we've worked our way through the hall of faith, we have uh, one more week and then uh, we'll finish it before Easter. We've been talking about this idea and it's so important for us to grasp. You see, faith is falling in love with God and the reward of God so much that it transforms your life. That That word, faith, means to entrust yourself to, to place your weight into. The idea that the Bible lays out for us as we work our way through the concept of salvation, one of the things that the Bible teaches us is that we are to abide in Christ, right? Jesus said, if you abide in me and I abide in you, he he said we have unity together. And so this idea, this concept of faith, when we go back to, John 3.16, where for a lot of us, that's where it all starts, right? For God so loved the world that he, he gave, right? He gave his one and only unique son, his only begotten. And the Bible tells us that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life, right? But that word believe, you know, it's a continuous action, right? God's not referring to there was a moment in time when I believed, He's referring to a life. There was a time when you fell, there's a beginning, right? Where we fall in love with God, where we fall in love with Jesus, we fall in love with what He's done for us. And then our life is forever marked by that reality that now I'm in Christ. And if I'm in Christ, I'm walking with Him. And that walking with Him and that being with Him and that looking, hopefully, into His purposes and plans for our life radically transforms us. And one by one by one, we've been looking at examples, right? All the way through chapter 11. All the way, working our way through chapter 11. I don't want you to lose sight of the beauty of this reality that what we have is a life that is transformed in such a way we can endure the difficulties of life. We can even endure those difficulties with joy because we have a greater treasure waiting. Because there's something greater in Christ. Then there is in whatever thing, whatever treasure this earth offers that, that, that we may lose or may get scuffed up or may be broken. And if it's not, then the opposite is true. And when the waves of life come through, and you guys, I don't know if you know that life is like that, but at least my life is like that. Just about the time I clear a wave, you know, one wave washes over and, and I got time to come back up for air. There's another wave. I see it coming. For how long? Ever! Oh, let me make it simpler. As long as we're here. But when we stand in that prize, in the place before our Lord and Savior, I don't know if there will be waves or there won't, but I don't think we're going to care. Because the Bible says we'll be like Him. We'll see Him as He is. He'll see us. We'll know the things that God has laid out for us. We'll recognize that this is the place I have always belonged. And why the world never brought satisfaction, even though I thought some things would. It doesn't. And it doesn't because I was made for something else. I was created to be with my Creator. And until that day... There's just something in the back of your mind nagging at you that this is not my home. In chapter 10, the writer of Hebrews lays out for us the point, the reason, and I just want to touch on it again briefly, the reason why we're looking at all these guys, all this hall of faith. The reason that we're looking at them, it says, beginning in verse 34, we'll read through 39 of Hebrews 10, for you had compassion on those in prison and joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Now, do we know that? That's what salvation is all about. Do you know you have a more abiding and precious treasure in Christ than anything else there is? Because that's what he said was the, was the, was the anchor that kept these guys afloat when they faced difficult times. So what does he tell us in verse 35? He says, therefore, don't throw away your confidence. Don't throw it away. The Bible tells in, in Hebrews 11, verse 1, that faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. The assurance. And I'm sure that God is going to do what he said. He says, don't throw away your conviction. Don't throw away your hope, which has great reward. Well, that's the thing we're supposed to be living for. That's the thing that keeps us elevated. That's the thing that keeps us grounded. If we lose that, the warning in the book of Hebrews is we begin to drift, become dull of hearing. Finally, we reach a place where we despise God's word. He said, no, we don't want to throw away our confidence, for you have need of endurance. Verse 36 so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. Now that word is such an important word for us. You have need of endurance. Anybody, does life got anybody down? We all doing okay? I switched my message to more happy ones because we're all good. Amen. Because the reality, guys, sometimes life gets us down, no? What do we have need of when we're down? Endurance. What's that mean? I, I got to get up and put one foot in front of the other still. I need to go on. I need to continue. He says, you have need of endurance because at the end is the reward. At the end is the reward. Now, we get little tastes of that reward here. But at the end is the reward. We understand that in every other realm in our life. Right? The farmer doesn't go out to the field and get harvest first, does he? If we did, there would be more of us farming, wouldn't there? Oh, that's a cool job. You go out and harvest first. No, there's a lot of work that goes into harvest, and then there's no guarantee, is there? The athlete doesn't go out and win the trophy first, does he? He has to go out and compete, and he has to compete by the rules. The soldier doesn't win the battle just by being a soldier. He has to go through training and preparation. This is what Paul told Timothy. He said, you have need of endurance, because at the end, there is great reward. There's great reward for the athlete who trains his body to accomplish the things that we watch them do when we watch sports. There's great reward when we see the man of God live out his life in faith, marked by faith, die in faith, and receive that reward of seeing his Savior, Jesus Christ, and hearing the words, well done, in the eyes of the Creator, looking right at you. There's not going to be nothing else like that. It is so great a reward that Paul would say our present suffering is not worthy to be compared to the glory which shall be revealed in you. To what God's going to do. It's just not, not worth being compared. So we don't throw away our confidence. We hold on looking for the reward. We realize that this life is a life of endurance. So we have to keep going on to receive what is promised. In verse 37 he says. For yet a little while. And the coming one will come and will not delay. I promise one day we'll all stand before Jesus Christ. He will come. He said I'm coming. He'll come. We read about it in Revelation chapter 19. I guarantee it will happen. Jesus Christ will come. But he says, my righteous one shall live by faith. He's saying, look, the one who is righteous, who really has a relationship with me, he's going to live, he's going to finish his race. He's going to start his race, John 3, 16. He's going to finish his race. He'll die in faith. These all died in faith. We read that in Hebrews, right? They start in faith, they die in faith, they realize we have need of endurance, and so we keep on. We keep moving forward, we don't shrink away, that's what he says. He says, my righteous one will live by faith, but if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But, in contrast to all that, we are not like those who shrink back and are destroyed, but we are of those who have faith. To preserve our souls. He says, that's not you guys. You guys, we're the ones who have faith. Who are started in faith. Who are going to finish in faith. Who will live by faith. Meaning we'll see our treasure in Christ. That he is that treasure that we need. That we'll put our eyes on the prize. Think about how Paul said that in Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3 verse 12. He says, not that I have already obtained this. Is anybody here perfected yet? We got to start over in a whole nother place if you say yes. Okay, not that I've already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. You hear the endurance? Well, I'm pressing on. What am I pressing on toward? What is the treasure? That's what you'll be pressing on toward. If your treasure is anything other than Jesus, all of your efforts are going to be about reaching that treasure. If your treasure is Jesus Christ, then that's your goal. Now, we do a lot of other things in life. We live, we take care of family, we provide. And I'm not saying none of those things are important. But I'm saying the treasure is Jesus. If your treasure is Jesus, you'll be a better farmer. If your treasure is Jesus, you'll be a better businessman. If your treasure is Jesus, you'll be a better husband. If your treasure is Jesus, you'll be a better father, a better mother, a better child. You'll be better at whatever you do if Jesus is your treasure. If he's not, then life is going to be a series of, of unfortunate incidents. But that's not what the Lord has for us. Paul says, I haven't obtained, but I press on because Christ Jesus made me his own. Our reaction is a response. We love him because he what? First loved us. We didn't love him first. He loved us first. We didn't make the first move toward God. God made the first move toward us. We didn't discover Him somewhere out in the cosmos. God revealed Himself to us. Throughout history, the Lord has done this. So because He made me His own, because He died for me, because of what He's done in my life, I'm pressing on to Him. I'm trying to get to Him. It's like a picture of you're you're in a big crowd of people and you're trying to work your way through the crowd and I'm trying to get up here to this place, to the place where, where Christ is. And sometimes I choose a line that doesn't get me where I want to go. It actually ends up going slower. You guys have done that in a grocery store, haven't you? Oh, yeah. Nobody? You never done the, uh choose choose a lane, choose the lane, pick the lane, who's who's the fast one? And we we tend to choose the one that don't got nobody in it, huh? Or or less people in it. That might not be the fast one, huh? Have you discovered sometimes that's not it? It's the same way. We're on our way to Christ. We're moving our way to Christ. We're trying to pick the lane that gets us to Him. But sometimes we choose a lane that don't go so fast. But did it change our goal? Oh, I'm still headed there. I'm still headed I might jump a line. I might change my direction, right? Isn't that the way our life looks? Paul says, I press on toward Him. Brothers, he said in verse 13, I do not consider that I have made it my own. But one thing I do, just one thing. I like, I like lists of things that are ones. I can remember a one. Two, I can't promise. Kathy starts giving me instructions. You know, okay, here's what I need you to do. But by the time she gets to the third thing, she knows my eyes are glassed over. Uh, I'm, I'm still back on one. He says, one thing I do. And then he tells you two things. Don't you love it? That's what we do that too, don't we? This one thing I do, I forget the things which are behind me and I move forward to the thing that's in front of me. Isn't it the devil's way to get us to look back at our failures? That's what I love about Hebrews 11. That's how God sees us. Hebrews 11, God doesn't list any of the failures of these guys. They all had failures. He doesn't list list the failures of the women. He doesn't say, when I told Sarah she was going to have a child, she laughed. He doesn't say that. He just says... She had faith. Because he does, he's, that's over. All those failures, they're gone. We don't, we don't need to worry about those. What do we got to worry about? Where we're going. Can I get where I'm going if I'm always looking backwards? No, no. so I got to look forwards, right? That's what he's saying. I forget the things which are behind. I don't live in the past. We can't live back there no more. We got to leave the past. And then we got to put our eyes, focus our eyes. Listen to how he says this. Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, you got to hear that that reaching out. I, I, the the closest, the greatest picture I, I can ever see about this is in football. I don't. Know, I'm sorry, you guys aren't football fans, but I am. So in football, when a guy's trying to score that touchdown, he's fighting his way through the crowd, right? And there are goal line stand. What's he do at the, at the last the last bit of the run? Reach out with that ball, right? Far. He's just trying to, you know, sometimes he makes it, sometimes he don't, sometimes bad things happen, but he's stretching out. That's the word. Reaching out. It's like it's this incredible desire to reach to Christ. i got to reach to him. Just like those guys trying to score a touchdown, trying to experience that victory. He says, man, I, I reach straining forward to what lies ahead. I press toward the goal. Hear him? Press toward the goal. i got to score. i got to cross the line. i got to get to where Christ is. I'm going to strain and I'm going to move and I'm going to press toward the goal of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I want to get to him. That's how it's described, this life. This life is not described like sometimes we think of it. It's not described as a life that when I was four years old, I prayed a prayer and now I'm 65 years old and and i've lived my life out and i uh you know maybe i my life can't be marked by the idea that i've been stretching forward like i've been reaching out like i've been living by faith but the good news is that's okay it can't be now it can't be now that I'm reaching for it. It can't be now that I'm stretching out. It can be now that I recognize, man, this is what God's word's calling me to. A lifestyle. We often say things like, have you made a decision for Christ or have you accepted Christ? And I understand all of those things and, and, and we understand what that means, but that was the beginning of the race, right? You get that? That was the beginning. The gun went off. <laughs> Go! And some of us are still at the starting line. But God's calling us to go. We have need of endurance. Let's go. Let's, let's join the race, right? Let's run the race with endurance for the prize lies out before us. And what's that prize? Look, if the prize is anything else but Jesus, we don't want to run. But if the prize is Jesus, we will move. Forward. So this morning, we're going to take a look at the life of Moshe, Moshe, Moses. You guys have all heard of Moses, right? And when we look at Moses here in the scriptures, we want to see how did faith transform Moses? How did faith mark Moses' life from the beginning to the end? One of the things we want to remember about Moses, there's several things actually we want to see. One of them is, he's the greatest prophet that Israel ever had. Not necessarily my words. Deuteronomy 34, verse 10, says, There has not arisen a prophet since in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face, none like him for all the signs and wonders that the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt, to Pharaoh, and to all his servants, and to all his lands, and for all the mighty power and all the great deeds of terror that Moses did in the sight of all of Israel. He's the greatest prophet they ever had probably one of the greatest heroes that they look up to. In fact, Numbers 12, verse 6 says, And he said, Hear my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision, or I speak with him in a dream, but not so with my servant Moses. Listen to what he says. He is faithful in all my house. With him, I speak mouth to mouth. God says, I showed all the other prophets' visions, but I stood in front of Moses. He's seen me. He's seen me stand before Him. With Him I speak mouth to mouth clearly, not in riddles. He holds the form. He beholds the form of the Lord. Do you hear that? He beholds the form of the Lord. I just want to just tickle your ears a little bit and say this. A lot of times we go reading through the prophets and we hear this phrase. And the word of the Lord came unto... And we think some idea or vision popped into their head. But you shouldn't think that after reading John 1.1. 1, 1. What's it say in John 1.1? 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. Who is God the Word? Jesus Christ. No man can see God and live, but he can behold the only begotten one and only Son of God, Jesus Christ. So the word came to Moses when he says, I spoke to him face to face. Who do you think he's talking to? You think Moses didn't know who was transfigured on the mountain? When it says Jesus stood before them transfigured and Moses and Elijah came to him. Moses is like, man, we spent a lot of time talking like this. Face to face. Mouth to mouth. He beheld the form of God. Doesn't the scripture say Jesus was the very form of God? The essence of God? That's what the scripture declares. The the essence of God Almighty. He was Israel's greatest lawgiver. He was Israel's greatest historian. First five books of the Bible, who wrote it? Moses. Moses. See how smart you guys are? (laughs) Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible, the great historian. He was Israel's greatest saint. Listen, it says in Numbers 12.3. Now the man Moses was very meek. More than all the people who were on the face of the earth. You hear that? God's word says that Moses was the most humble man among all men on the face of the earth. Number one, God's greatest prophet, greatest lawgiver, greatest saint. How about this? He was Israel's greatest deliverer. Because he's the one that led them forth on the exodus, right? Moving forward, it says he, he's the one that God used. In fact, we're going to see that as we look. So let's jump in. Look how fast. We're already in Hebrews 11, verse 23. Let's take a look at it. The, the, the life of Moses is like this incredible example of faith from beginning to end. Big beginning to end. Look at it. Verse 23, by faith. Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. The king's edict. In Exodus one twenty-two. Pharaoh, earlier, in fact, you can read about it if you want, earlier in that same chapter, Pharaoh tells all the, the uh, um, what are they? Yeah, midwives, thanks. I heard somebody give it to me. He told all the midwives, hey, when they have a boy, kill it. When they have a girl, let it live. And the midwives wouldn't do it. You know the scripture says that God blessed those midwives? They wouldn't take the life of a child? Anyway, Pharaoh comes out with another edict because they, they weren't obeying him. They said they made the excuse that Hebrew women are too fast. They're pregnant. They go out in the field. They work. Have a baby before we can get there. Bloop, there he is. And we can't get there in time to, to do what you want us to do. It's not quite like that, ladies. <laughs> I'm just telling you that's what that story was. That, not mine. Anyhow, Pharaoh made this command in verse 22. Every son that is born to the Hebrews you will cast in the Nile. But you shall let every daughter live. Now what I want you to see in this edict from the king is that there's really two threats. One is implied, one is explicit. The explicit threat is kill all the boys, right? What's the implied threat? What if you don't? You get it? So if you, if you do, boom. If, if, there's a, if you have a son, kill him, we're good. But if you have a son and you don't kill him, now well, maybe we'll kill you all. Right? That's kind of an implied note by by Pharaoh here. So it says, by faith, when he was born, he was hidden for three months by his parents. Well, who's his parents? Exodus chapter 6, verse 20 says, Amram took as his wife Jochebed, his father's sister. She bore him Aaron and Moses. The years of the life of Amram were 137 years. So we got Amram and Jochebed. So Amram and Jochebed are his parents. They hear the decree. They have the the birth of a son. Moses is born. And what does it say? It says he was hidden three months by his parents because they saw that child was beautiful. And it drives me crazy because just about every commentary tries to tell us that there was something special about how Moses looked. That somehow he had more value than all the other male children who were thrown into the Nile. But I don't believe that. I believe Amran and Jochebed said he's beautiful because every parent says when they look at their child, he's beautiful. And they had faith to say God has a purpose for Moses. People try to say all the time, well, God must have spoke to him. Well, the only problem is that's not in the Bible. The Bible says, they looked at that child and they said, he's beautiful. And I'm not throwing him in denial. They recognized that in the life of a child is the whole world. All our hopes, dreams, all the things that we long to see in this world happen because of children. They're passed on to children. They are our hope, They are all that we have. In fact, Acts chapter 7 verse 20. If you remember, Stephen gives a little commentary on this. When Stephen gives his exhortation in Acts. It says that this time Moses was born and he was beautiful in God's sight. God thought he was beautiful too. Well, what about all the other kids? God didn't think they were beautiful? You know, when God was talking to the children of Israel, he said... At the time in the in their history, there's a valley in Israel. If you go to Jerusalem with us, there's a valley that runs alongside Jerusalem. It's a place where uh, Judas hung himself. You know where Judas hung himself? You know what that place is called? Gehenna. That's not an accident, I don't think. You know what Jesus used to to describe as hell? What word? Gehenna. What was in Gehenna? The dump the trash, later on, but even before it became the dump, the trash, you know what was in Gehenna? The worship of Molech. You guys heard of it? That's where the children of Israel would sacrifice their children. And when God condemned the, the children of Israel, when He judged them for that, He said, what are you doing? This thing never even entered into my mind. When I hear God say that, you know what I hear? Those children are beautiful. Every little life, I have a plan for and a purpose for. A couple of weeks ago, we were out outside Planned Parenthood. Bill often spends time out there. And and uh, um, in case you were wondering, I wasn't asking for anybody's permission so, I'm going to do it whether you like it or not. <laughs> it's irrelevant. But when we were out there, a person came up to talk to me, really upset and aggravated, and they want to talk about when life starts and, and whether or not the, it's at the heartbeat or when brain function happens. They're going through all that stuff. And, and all the other guys out there, they know all that, but I don't care about any of that. I just told her, God said, I got a plan for that baby at conception so as far as I'm concerned God has a plan for that baby from instant one and our argument was over they're a beautiful child they're a beautiful child but what what was the faith of Amram and Jochebed I don't know what was happening around them I would imagine there were people who said I don't want to be slaughtered by Pharaoh no? no? You don't think there were people out there grabbing their child? Is it a boy? Oh, it's a boy! It's a boy! And they reach over and grab him and fling him out into the Nile? You don't think that happened? You don't think there were other parents who said, this is, this is, we, this is too much. It's going to cost us too much. It's gonna, we'll lose our lives. Pharaoh will take our other children. I'm not saying it's an easy decision. I'm just saying there were two parents who said, by faith... He's a beautiful child, and I'm not throwing him in the river. So by faith, they hid him for three months. What do you think that three months was like? How how often does a baby cry? Oh, you guys in here, you've heard them, ain't you? Babies cry. Now, every time a baby cried and somebody walked by, you don't think there's somebody going, what's that? Baby boy or baby girl? They hid the baby for as long as they could, right? And when they couldn't hide the baby anymore, they gave that child to God. They wrapped him up in a blanket. I can't even imagine how hard this was. They wrapped him up in a blanket. They put him in a basket, bulrushes, laid him in the Nile and let him go. And they said, God, you have a plan for our son. Was it true? Yeah, sure enough. Sure enough. God had a plan for their son. They had faith. They had faith. Look, we're not not in fear. The Bible says, literally, they hid their sons. In the book of Exodus, it says they hid their sons for for fear of Pharaoh. But then, then the Bible says here that it was an act of faith. So which was it? Was it an act of fear or was it an act of faith? Well, simple. They feared for the life of their son, so in faith... They hit him and then gave him to the Lord, and then the Lord delivered. They feared for the life of their son, but they didn't fear for themselves. They did what they needed to do to provide their son with life. So, this act of courage, just so you know, cannot be expressed without fear. Without fear, you can't have courage. Without fear, you can't have bravery. So there has to be a measure of fear. But what does faith do? Pushes down that fear, right? And then moves forward. Pushes down that fear and moves forward. And what do we see them do? That very thing. Pushing down that fear. They had a belief. They had a conviction. They had an assurance in the things hoped for. God has a plan for our child. They had an assurance in God's promises. And they held fast. They held fast the conviction of things they couldn't see. When they put that baby in the Nile, was there a guarantee? No guarantees. But They had faith. He's yours, God. Which one of our kids don't belong to the Lord? They all belong to him. That's what the Bible says. They all, they're all his kids. He gives them to us on loan. We're to be good stewards with what he gives us. And that's what they note. At the beginning of, of uh, Moses' life, we see his parents acting in faith. Now the next thing we come to, verse 24, is 40 years later. So a lot of time has passed, right? Right? Crisis number two in in Moses' life. The first one, they tried to kill him when he was born. But his parents had faith, and that act of faith brings us 40 years later. Now, Moses is raised up in in Pharaoh's house. He, He has the things that nobody else has. Now, I put these two or three verses all together for a reason, because I believe all three of these are dealing with the same instance. And the first couple deal with a decision that Moses made in his heart, in his mind, in his life. And the second one is when that reality is expressed. So let's watch it. Let's watch it take place. We have these first, these two choices of Moses. What were they? I will choose to the the, the reproach to be mistreated with the people of God. I choose a mistreatment with the people of God than the passing pleasures of sin. Now, he's making this choice inside. The, the, the choice to leave the house hasn't happened yet. The choice to leave the house is coming. But in his heart, he is saying, I want to I line up with my people, not with Pharaoh. I want to be with my people. I want to be delivering them, right? Isn't that what he tries to do when he goes and kills the Egyptian? He tries to do it on his own strength, right? He says, uh, because he feels for the mistreatment of his own people. So he's making a mental choice. It is He responds out of it in flesh, which sometimes we do. But he's making a mental choice. What's that choice? I want to stand with God. I want to stand with God. Even though everybody thinks that all those people, all those Christians, all those people who stand with God are stupid. And they're dumb. They believe dumb things. But he said in his heart, in his mind, I'm with them. Not with them. He made a choice. What's the second choice? To suffer the reproach of Christ. Now how could he suffer the reproach of Christ? He's a long time before Christ. Do you know where the first promise of Messiah is? Genesis chapter 3. First promise. Who, Who wrote Genesis? Look at how you guys are figuring all this stuff out. He wrote that first promise. What is he saying? The, The reproach. What was their thing? We're looking. We're looking for the king, the real king, God, our king. He's our deliverer. He's our strong tower. He's all we need. And what did everybody around him say? That's dumb. There's no deliverer coming. You guys are a bunch of slaves. Don't you pay attention? But what did Moses say? Moses said, Look, I'm going to suffer the reproach of messiah the anointed i'm going to suffer the reproach of of the of, of how people view our hope i'm lining i'm choosing that camp that's my people rather than all the treasures of egypt how much gold do you think there was in egypt at the time yeah you remember how egypt got rich right that little fellow named joseph you guys remember and all the people were starving, and what happened? Joseph led the, the Pharaoh in Egypt to store away food, and now when everybody was starving, where'd they go? Egypt. What'd they give them? Gold. When they didn't have no more gold to give, what did they give? Their land. When they had no more land to give. What did they give? Themselves. They became, they all became slaves, and Egypt became enormously wealthy. You ever seen the treasures of Tutankhamun? He had more, they buried him with more stuff than I got in my garage. What about you guys? A lot of gold in the treasures of Tutankhamun. I just like to say that. Tutank. Tutankhamen. It's a fun word. <clears throat> but listen to what he said. He decided that Jesus, by way of the concept of Messiah, he decided that Messiah was a greater treasure than all the gold. Do you hear what we've been talking about? What we've been talking about? That Jesus is our treasure. He's our goal. We're focused on him and we're moving forward to him. So what are the two choices that he made? I'm going to stand with God's people. I want to stand. I'm choosing a side, right? I'm choosing the side that God's on. I'm choosing God's side. What was the second thing? I'm going to put my eyes on the real prize. It's not the gold of Egypt. It's the prize of Messiah. He put his eyes on the prize. He made these choices. But listen... Why? It says he was looking to the reward. That's exactly what we're talking about, right? Looking to the reward. And in the beginning of our life to the end of our life, walking toward that reward. So what does it say about Moses? That's what he did. That's what he did. He said, I'm going to stand with God's people and I'm going to walk toward Messiah. I'm going to walk toward the anointed of God. I'm going to walk toward that holy promise of God. So then look at verse 27. Here's when it becomes a reality. By faith, he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Now about this time, you should be asking a question, but sounds a little contradictory to the book of Exodus. Let's flip over to Exodus chapter two, verse 11. Look at it together. One day when Moses had grown up, he went out to the people and looked on their burden. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. He looked this way and that, seeing no one. He struck down the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. And and then he went out the next day. Behold, two Hebrews were struggling together. And he said to the man in the wrong, why are you striking your companion? And he answered, who made you a prince and a judge over us? Are you going to kill us like you did the Egyptian? Then Moses was, what's it say? Afraid. I told you, there can be no courage without fear. He is afraid. Moses was afraid. He's going to kill me. But his motivation for leaving was, I finally get to do what I said I was going to do for all these years. I'm going to go put my eyes on the prize and walk toward the Lord. You, th- you think, well, I don't know about that, Jackie, but well, let me tell you this. You honestly think, judging by today's world, whoever Moses killed, you honestly think he couldn't have gone to his mom and said, Mom, the dude was a loser and stuck his tongue out at me. Uh, you know, I'm the prince of Egypt. He did something wrong. I killed him. You know, he deserved to die anyway. Go talk to Pharaoh and get me out of this. You don't think he could have done it? You don't think Moses could have thrown himself into the treasures of Egypt? You don't think Moses could have gone into Pharaoh and before Pharaoh, who grew up with him for 40 years? You don't think he could have got a pass? If he wanted a pass? But at that moment, at that defining moment when the crossroads were laid out for Moses, he was afraid, and that's what brought forth courage. And he said, I'm going to go God's way. And I don't think God wants me in this house no more. And I don't think God wants me in this place. So he walked out into the desert, not knowing where he was going. Did he? That remind you of somebody else? Not knowing where he's going, just walked out into the desert. He spent 40 years being trained by all the best that Egypt had to offer And then God was going to spend the next 40 years training them right. Fixing all the bent and crooked places. You guys know that God can strike a straight blow with a crooked stick, right? You don't know that? God's God. He can do anything, can he? So if I don't got things quite right, God can make it right, right? He He can straighten it out. But sometimes a little easier than God... Making a straight blow with a crooked stick is taking the crooked stick and making it straight. So for 40 years, God took a crooked stick and made it a bit straighter. Preparing Moses for what he was going to do. Preparing Moses for what would be accomplished. And so, Pharaoh, he wants to kill Moses, but he can't. Because Moses takes this moment, I believe he takes this moment... He sets in his physical reality what was already a part of his mind and heart. And he leaves. I'm leaving. I'm going. Moses made this choice, and I just want to tie it back. We look back in Hebrews. He made the choice to, look what Hebrews says, he made the choice to, look what it says, by faith he left Egypt not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he, what's the word? Endured. He endured. Endured. That word endured. He's like, man, I'm I'm gonna I'm just, I just gotta go with God. I just gotta endure. I gotta I gotta live. I gotta go. I gotta figure out how all this is supposed to work, how my life is supposed to happen. So the scripture uses that. Hebrews defines it. He says, Man, he endured. He put one foot in front of the other in the middle of the desert, found himself in Midian. Coincidentally, he meets his wife. He meets a father-in-law who's going to give him a little bit of wisdom who just happens to be a man who worships God Most High. He's instructed how to be a shepherd and how to lead sheep. And then God calls him one day as he's leading sheep and says, it's time for you to go get mine. It's time for you to go get my sheep. By faith, Moses did this. He fulfilled this reality. He chose to endure Because he saw the unseeable. Doesn't that remind you of verse 1? The assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. He saw the unseeable. Who's unseeable? God Almighty is unseeable. But he said, "I, I, I see him. I see him. I see his fingerprints. I see his movement around me. And he goes. And then one day, he's standing in front of a burning bush. And in the burning bush, it's a representative of who? Yahweh. Jesus Christ ultimately is the one who declares himself to be the voice of the burning bush. Speaking to Moses, he left, he endured seeing the unseeable. Looking around saying, man, I made a mess, God, but you got a plan. You have a purpose. And so he walked by faith. Now, what, how, does that, how does that relate to us? How do we look at that? We want to look at that. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16 and 18, it says this, So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is renewed day by day. Listen, for this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory. This light momentary affliction, that's how he describes our difficulties in life, is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory. It's the same way he would have spoke of Moses. As we look not to the things which are seen, not to the circumstances around us, not to the declaration that the doctor gives us, we don't stare at those things, we don't stare at that which can be seen, but to the things which are not seen. The power of God. The power of his spirit moving and working in our life. For the things that are seen, they're transient. They're passing away. But the things which are not seen, they are eternal. When we look, we see in the beginning of Hebrews that Moses is preserved by faith. He's preserved by faith. When we look here at the second crisis, when we look at the second crisis in his life, we see that here, by faith, he's identified with his people and then separated from the world. By faith, he identifies with the people, separates from Egypt, separating from the world. But in crisis number three, we see faith bringing salvation. Look at it. He says, By faith, he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch him. By faith, he killed the lamb. The blood would have been right there in the in the threshold, as you pass the door, there's a little hole, the threshold. The blood was in that threshold. They closed the door. Take hyssop, a little branch of bush, piece of a bush, dip it in the blood. And then he was told to strike over the top, so he'd strike over the top, the wood that went across the top, he'd strike it. And then dip and then strike both sides. And then go inside the house, stay dressed, ready to go, and enjoy the meal of the Passover lamb. And everyone who obeyed that on their door was a cross. And the angel passed by. Faith led to obedience. His faith led to obedience, and that brought salvation. And when it says he kept the Passover, that word for kept means he kept it forever. So Passover became a thing that kept coming by, right? They kept participating. They kept being a part of it. They kept focusing on it. They kept seeing it. So we see the life of Moses begins with parents who by faith understand that Children are a beautiful thing, and that God has a plan for his life, so they preserve his life. Then we see later on in his life, he begins to identify himself with the people of God, and separates himself from the world. And then, toward the end of his life, 40 years later again, now he's 80, he's putting the blood on the doorposts, and he's seeing God pass over. He's seeing the hand of God's salvation. He's seeing God move and work in his life. His whole life, from beginning to end. A life of faith. A starting point, And the scripture says, these all died in faith. These all died looking to the prize. Looking to the glory of God. Looking to Him. Moses lays out that example for us. So that we maybe can see, in some way, that God lays out in His Word, That we can begin and continue and end in faith, in faith all the way through a life committed to the treasure of God all the way through. Amen? Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this opportunity. We have to study your word, to look into the life of of Moshe, of Moses, to see God, that it's a life begun in faith, it's a life sustained in faith, it's a life finished in faith. From beginning to end, from start, all the way through God, his life is marked by this ideal. That he had faith. He put his trust in the treasure of God. He put his hope in the treasure of God. He held on to the promises of God. And he continued to move forward. And as he continued to move forward, one step in front of the other, he just simply became the greatest prophet, the greatest historian, the greatest deliverer Israel ever had. Not because he was made of something different than we are, but simply because he begins, sustains, and ends his life in faith. And Lord, you declare in your word that the righteous shall live by faith, that the justified will walk by faith, that we'll put our hope and trust in you and continue to walk looking forward to the prize. God, I pray that you would open our eyes to hold on to the truth Of God in his word. Lord that we would recognize. That you are moving and working in our midst. And that you want to accomplish these same things. In our lives. Lord I pray. We would put our heart. And mind. Our being. Our hope. In you. And that we as they. Would be those. Who have all died. In faith. Who have finished the race who have kept the faith. And we give you all the praise and the glory for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.